everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mature Audiences Mayhem. My name is Glenn King. It is my great honor to bring you this podcast where we talk about the things that other podcasts either cannot or will not or fail to talk about. That is, things that are for mature audiences only. Today, a very, very special guest. We have somebody who has now done four scenes for me and my great productions. She is an up-and-coming superstar in the porn, the adult film industry. She is stacked. Her body will blow you away. She's stunningly beautiful. She is like, you know, what we used to have a lot of in porn and don't quite have any more bombshells. She's the great London River. Hello. Oh. <laughs> I, like, I feel like that's a lot to live up to. All right. <laughs> no, but it's all true, all true. You're an up and coming superstar in the business. I know you are somebody who doesn't like to brag, but you definitely are, are uh, popping up on a lot of radars these days. So, guys, we're on a Zoom call today. This is our first ever Zoom podcast. Uh, so she, I'll describe to you what she's wearing. She is, um, looks like some, it looks like a dress top, actually, but her no, boobs it's No, are... it's just like a, it's just like a top and pants. Okay. Can I see the pants? They're really loose. They're yes, like, they are. They're, they're like for, um. I don't know. They're like for, for the beach. I think I'm supposed to wear a bathing suit underneath them, but instead I just wear them around like normal pants. Yeah, she's basically wearing a sexy top with her boobs hanging out with a trash bag. Uh, <laughs> she's wearing a trash bag. <laughs> and it looks great. You, you pull off the look very well. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's get right into it. I think one of the most interesting things about you is uh, your Twitter a lot of great stuff on there. I was looking through there earlier today. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you about, having glanced through here, is just that I've seen you talking in the past about feeling awkward. You um, don't perceive yourself as a, as a Pamela Anderson bombshell. You perceive yourself in a different way. T can you talk about that? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I'm really shy. And so I'm kind of always questioning myself. Like, um, I mean, I, like, basically all the time. So even when I show up for work, like, there's a, this, like, level of anxiety when I'm going to be working with people that I don't know, because I'm like, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to say something fucking weird. And, and it's, yeah, and I spend a lot of time just kind of like re-examining uh, conversations I've already had and regretting everything, <laughs> so, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Is this something that being in adult films has changed for you? Has it changed your self-opinion? Uh, in that area, not as much. Um, but... <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> no, I think that's just how I feel. Okay. Not really. Well, it's for me. It's been hard to. I I'm not friends with that many performers, and I feel like I haven't really. I don't have a lot in common, especially with girls. Like I I have male male friends, but not as many girlfriends, um, which sort of sucks. But I almost feel in that way that like. I'm kind of not one of the cool kids. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's how I feel at events and stuff. Well, I'm just like this dork. 
I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to get too far into psychology here, but basically you're familiar with the concept of id and superego. Yeah. So, you know, id is what everybody's born with. That's the core that everyone has that is their self-esteem. And then superego is the variable part that goes up and down based upon compliments. And 98% of all adult film stars have a tiny little uh, id and then a big super ego. So if somebody says to them, you look beautiful today, then they, their super ego expands and they feel like I am beautiful. If then somebody says, or does, if it either says to them, you don't look beautiful or doesn't tell them they look beautiful, they shrink down to their id and then they start crying. And you know, then you see them on Twitter saying, everyone thinks I'm ugly, but you seem to be the one of the rare few that basically has a core id that's pretty big and a super ego that doesn't change that much. So you basically feel the same about yourself all the time. <laughs> basically. I mean, sometimes when somebody says something really shitty, it'll hit me for a second, and, but like, it doesn't stick very yeah. well i suppose <laughs> like, like so because because you know especially with instagram or whatever there's always somebody that's like oh my god she's so fucking ugly and i'm like oh! and then i'm like ah eh, fuck it people keep paying me to be attractive so <laughs> so right. as long as i'm as long as i'm fooling all these directors it doesn't really matter what you think <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean i don't think it's a matter of fooling anybody no no yes. but like <laughs> But it's just like, it's just when people, because people think that their opinion is fact. So they're like, why is this girl working? She's so unattractive. And I'm like, that's kind of subjective. So I suppose right. that's why. <laughs> yeah. Do you get a lot of uh, attacks? I mean, I think all adult film stars just get pe trolls constantly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, the, but, you know, I think that the what we have a hard time doing is, you know, you see one comment that sucks a lot yeah. and that hurts your feelings. But I think what a lot of people do is they take in that one stupid comment and they ignore this long list of like a hundred people that are just adore you. And so, and so it's just, I don't like, that's kind of part of why I just can't, I don't like comments stick to me that much really either way i'm just kind of like uh you know uh conan o'brien <laughs> talks about this a lot on his podcast we're not alone um people in all industries comedians especially if there's a thousand people in the crowd and 999 of them are laughing and one guy is sitting there with his arms folded and a grumpy look on his face they sit there wondering why that grumpy guy hates them and right you know, they're not even taking into account that grumpy guy probably just got, you know, yelled at at work or something like that. And yeah, that's he's our, in a fight with his girlfriend. Something's going on that has nothing to do with you. Yeah. But at least they can see that he's a person. In our industry, we get attacked by eggs basically all the time. These people on Twitter who's, you know, John 3C5399227, who's just an egg, who's got nine followers, and somehow we let it get to us. So if you're a fan who's listening to the show, please do keep in mind that um, being a troll might be fun to get a porn star to interact with you, but you're hurting them in a lot of cases. Although, 
not in the case of London here. London has a strong backbone. I just think you're, I just feel bad for them, honestly. I mean, I mean, get it, especially when it's people, because every once in a while I'll click on it and be like, you follow me. Like, you didn't even just happen upon my tweet to call me ugly. You follow me to call <laughs> me ugly. Like, that is some small dick energy. <laughs> like, and it's just like, how how shitty is your life? Uh, yeah, I end up feeling kind of bad for people because I assume when they're doing that, that there's like something really missing. That cause, Because who has time to follow people they don't like and then troll them? Well, like that's good. Somebody that's, somebody that's really unhappy, I would Apparently. assume. Do you, uh, you keep track of your unfollows? Nah. Okay. Because <laughs> no. I'll admit, I do. I look, but there's a reason behind it. I look every day and I see who unfollowed me that I'm following me, that, that, that I'm following. Because I don't want to ask somebody to be in my videos if they looked at my feed at, at one point and said, I friggin' hate this guy and I don't want to see his stupid femdom videos on my timeline anymore. So yeah. I'll usually unfollow somebody as a result. So, um, well, I want to get into your history, but I guess first I want to ask you about living in COVID world. It's kind of the, the subject that's on everybody's mind these days. Again, looking at your tweets, you don't seem to have a, a political side. You're just more angry at the government who, who doesn't seem to have a plan. <laughs> I'm just angry at the government all the time. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm angry at the government for not working together. And right now, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of our president, but I feel like at this point, you know, we've got, like, like even with the hydroxychloroquine situation, now there's a doctor that's like, I've been treating everyone with this, and and they're they're living and then there's all these people that are like well we need to study it more but actually the study they were doing they discontinued and now they're not sure if they're going to continue it again and part of me is like are we going to not take a closer look at this drug because our idiot president jumped the gun and said something about it early and if that's the case then now you've politicized a medication and it's like, I don't love that either. And I just feel like, I feel like we've, we've lost all reason. Because at this point, I think even if this drug could potentially save lives, people are putting the brakes on it because they don't like the president and he already said a bunch of stuff about this medicine. And yeah, that's where I hate the government is because I don't think that they're out to take care of us. I think that they're, they're just kind of, creating politics where there shouldn't be politics. You know, what I read on that was that the FDA studied hydroxychloroquine and decided that it wasn't really having any effect at all in, the, in those cases, that basically um, uh, COVID has a very high recovery rate in the first place, mm -hmm. and it's, it's a relatively quick cycle. So they were giving it to these people and, you know, because they're not going to give it to somebody on day one, they're going to give it to them after they develop severe symptoms, they give it to these people. And then they the symptoms clear up 
and they would have cleared up on their own because when they're doing the hydroxychloroquine tests, you got one group that has a placebo and one group that doesn't, you know, that has the real hydroxychloroquine. They were saying that basically the, the results were the same for both groups. Well, yeah, the but they didn't time. finish. They didn't finish the actual research. Like, so it's like you're, you have this, this theory that, but you didn't actually finish setting your hypothesis. They cut it short because then they decided that it was dangerous. And now they're questioning whether or not the research that said that it was dangerous was even valid. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, yeah, I, it's, but I also don't think, I just don't think that either political party has our best interests at heart when it comes to fixing this. Well, yeah, see, that's the part that I think we both agree on, um, whether hydroxychloroquine or the other therapeutics that they're working with turns out to be the best solution. Clearly, if you, the, and this is why I don't belong to a political party, the left is always pushing against the right, and the right is always pushing against the left, and it's like, who's pushing on behalf of us? Like, I just don't tend to, you know, I, th I think everything that's in the middle is relatively mm -hmm. really accurate, and whatever is far the left and far the right is just, the, it's just an ongoing culture war. And I think you're right, hydroxychloroquine got dragged into the, the culture yeah. war. Yeah, and like, I don't know if the drug works or not, but that's like sort of beyond, like, beside the point for me it's it's i feel like it's more just like we're just shooting things down based on which pol which political party said it and it's like and the rest of america is sort of caught in between like two roosters in the middle of a cockfight and and neither of them they're just they're worried about killing each other it has nothing to do with us and so right. yeah. every issue whether mm -hmm. it's healthcare, the economy, the, um, the, the protests that are going on, you've got both sides that are so polarized that they're assuming there's nothing in the middle that makes sense. Mm -hmm. and, and, right. and then we get, we get screwed as a result here. And I think that we're going to have a problem with vaccines too, because, you know, <laughs> Well, first off, yeah. are you? What are your? What's your position on vaccines? Are you a vaccine uh, anti-vaxer or are you a pro-vaxer? I I I get I get my vaccines done, yeah. um, but the the issue with vaccines is going to be so fascinating because people people are worried that there's going to be microchips put in them, or people are worried that it's going to cause sterilization or this or that thing or another, and it's just like. Yeah, I think that the vaccine is going to be this whole other issue. Yeah, yeah I don't, you know what? I'm fine. Microchip me, uh, you know, uh, sterilize me. In fact, I would really like to be sterilized. <laughs> I tried to do a vasectomy one time, but I got, it's not that I was scared. I just didn't like the doctor at all. And I decided oh. to do it. I need to do that again. But, um, but I think the problem with vaccines, like somebody just told me yesterday, goes, well, I'm not getting a vaccine because, you know, think of all the times I've gotten the flu from the flu vaccine. And I was like, well, it's not, probably not the case. Most, most likely the flu vaccine only works 60% of the time. If you take the flu vaccine and you get the flu, it doesn't mean that the flu vaccine gave you the flu. More likely it just means it didn't work 40%. Yeah, well 
The flu is a virus that, I mean, or a set of viruses that really adapt like fast, like the, not adapt yeah. with the word, mutate, it mutates. And once it mutates, then the vaccine becomes less effective. That's why we have a new one every year. And they're trying, when they make those, they're trying to predict what the flu is going to be like that season. But your, I mean, their predictions can be wrong because of how it mutates. So. And yeah. coronavirus is going to mutate too. So mm -hmm. how are we going to have one magical vaccine that saves the world by um, November? I don't think it's going to happen. But or they're just going to have to add like coronavirus to like to the to the vaccine schedule. So we just do it every year, like the flu, or some of us do. Yeah. Yeah. I, do. I do the flu vaccine. I, I won't go to AVN without a flu vaccine. <laughs> uh, I, I, some years I do and some years I don't, but I also take a million other precautions. I've got mm -hmm. a whole elderberry juice, uh, a turmeric thing I drink every day, and then a, a, a defense booster that I buy every year. But AVN is tough. I'm kind of glad we're. I don't think we're going to have an AVN convention next year. So, no, I don't think so. I mean, they just announced that CES is canceled for next year. So I can't imagine us having AVN after they cancel CES. But who knows uh, what things will be like? Well, let's let's talk about your adult film career. But before we do, we need to talk about the sponsor of the show, and that is the great Sex Panther. Are you on Sex Panther? Yeah. Yes. Sex <laughs> is wonderful. It is your opportunity. See, now you've been listening to London. You realize how amazingly intelligent she is. You want to talk to her about vaccines, or maybe you want to send her dick pics, one of those two. And here's how you can do it, Sex Panther. So tell people how they would contact you on Sex Panther. Um, it's just London River on Sex Panther. So, uh I mean, I think the sexpanther.com. That's S E X T P A N T H E R.com. Search for London River. Then you get her phone number. Is your phone number free? Uh, yes, my phone number is free. There you go. So, you guys, you can get her phone number for free, and then she sets a rate depending on what type of text that you want to send her. She can send you videos, she can send you pictures, she can talk to you on the phone do they have video chat yet they were working on it uh no but i do i do do like phone talks and and i make videos and things like that so i mean if you want something personalized that's a really good place to do it yes get on there uh can they send you a dick picture on sex panther absolutely Rate it. send all the dick dick pictures take it from the bottom um, so, yes, that's what I was going to ask you because Sarah J was on the podcast a few weeks ago and she has very specific instructions of how she wants the picture to be taken. Yeah, so, I will. I want it just like it doesn't, I'm not so specific, but if you hold the camera down like toward the bottom so that you can get your, you know, you want the whole thing like from the top, all you see is a dick, and from the bottom, you can see like, you know, the entire. The dick and the whole hub. That's yeah. that's the best way to send it. Yeah. The whole hub. <laughs> the whole dick hub. And you you want them to be erect, right? Yeah. I mean, unless you have some kind of talk shaming like fetish and you yeah. want me to make fun of your flaccid penis, which I'm happy to do. 
uh, please send an erect dick. Okay, yeah. does this happen often? <laughs> this SPH fans, we call them small penis humiliation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those are probably my fans, the ones that are mean bitches. <laughs> you just verbally destroy all of our male talents. And uh, so they want you to, to verbally destroy their penis. I'm never as mean to the male talent as people sometimes would like me to be on like sex panther. So, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Sex Panther is this amazing thing. Not only can you communicate with London River, you can communicate with um, Sarah J, you can communicate with Christy Canyon, Ginger Lynn, um, Courtney Taylor, just about everyone who's been on the podcast is on Sex Panther. So go on Sex Panther today and start a relationship, like a real friendship or a real sexual relationship uh, via your cell phone with your favorite adult film star. And by the way, if you are one of the many female performers who listen to this podcast, a lot of London's uh, fans who happen to be other performers are probably tuning into this. If you're not on Sex Panther yet, shame on you. Right, London? Shame on you? Shame on you. You're, you're, you're missing out. Yeah, you're missing out because if you're a performer and you're not on Sex Panther, then you're not building real long-term relationships with your fans the way that you can be doing. You're leaving, you're leaving money on the table, essentially. So get to Sex Panther today and sign up. And if you're one of those performers uh, who listens to the podcast, feel free to um, tweet me or DM me, and I will help you get set up on Sex Panther. So there you go. Whether you are a fan or whether you're a female performer, you need to be going to sexpanther.com today at S-E-X-T-P-A-N-T-H-E-R.com. Back to London River and her illustrious career. What did you do <laughs> before you got into adult films? Um, I, was, I was a teacher for a while. For like five yes. years. I lived, I lived in Costa Rica and I was teaching English as a second language, but I was also teaching um, uh, math and science classes, but in English so that kids got more used to using English all the time for certain subjects. And so, um, yeah, it was a All right, let's just back up here. <laughs> that's, that's pretty earth shattering as adult film stars go. First off, how did you end up in Costa Rica? I, when I was in college, I had done um, a volunteer project in, in multiple countries in Latin America, but I really fell in love with Costa Rica. So I ended up deciding that I wanted to live there, I guess. <laughs> that, that's one of the most beautiful places in the world, right? Yeah. And it's, it's arguably, I mean, it's one of the most biodiverse places in the world as well. So it's, um, it's an amazing place. Elaborate, please. What do you mean by biodiverse? Well, it's a rainforest area, and rainforests are kind of like, if you think of like what would be a hotbed for evolution, that's it's kind of how rainforests are. Everything is basically in a race to catch up with everything else all the time. So you end up with just this massive diversity in plant and animal life and, and fungus, everything. Like, and um, so that's kind of what the thing biodiversity is, is how many different kinds of life forms are all living in one place. And 
if you're in like rainforest areas, you can actually look at like one square foot of anything. Like you can find an entire, an entire like um, biological community just living in one foot on a log. And so it's um, in that way for me, because I was doing a conservation project, that was really amazing to me. This sounds amazing. It sounds like an amazing way to live. I assume that you have L'Espanol. See, uh, so are you? You're fluent? Uh, not as much anymore because I've been back in the United States for um, several years now, and it's weird how much you you lose it. I would assume that if I went back, I would pick it up like riding a bike again, but um, but at the moment, it's like not not great. And I actually have a real like we have some Spanish speaking performers but they're from Spain. Yeah. And I actually have a fairly difficult time understanding them because the accent is so so incredibly different. And so so sometimes like I can understand what people are saying, I've gotten slower in responding than I used to be and uh, that sucks, but you must be speaking yeah. of Luna Star whom we don't really understand her English either, but um, we love her to death. Or like like Ramon, also he's uh, he's like a, a. I mean, he's from Spain, and when I hear him talking to somebody else, I'm like, oh shit! Like I <laughs> have I <laughs> have I lost it that much? But then I'll watch Spanish language television. I'm like, ah oh, shit! I'm good. I just I'm just not from Spain. Okay. <laughs> All right. So how did you go from um, from being a teacher in Costa Rica to doing adult films? I, you know, it's kind of a mystery to me, too. Um, I like and when I was in college, I was dancing. And when I moved to Costa Rica, I would come back to the United States when there were school breaks and dance because there was always a really long school breaks in the winter. And um, while it sucks to be in places like Chicago in December, January, it's actually like the best time to dance because people don't have anything else going on. So they're like, I'll go inside and see girls naked because they're not getting naked on the beach anywhere. Um, and uh, so I had been dancing and I kind of wound up in porn sort of in the BDSM route but that's because I wanted to try those things. And then a couple years after being just like a bondage performer, I ended up getting into like more, I don't know, like I, I hate the word vanilla because I feel like the stuff I do for some companies is it's not bondage, but it's not vanilla, but like more uh, normal, like boy, girl sex porn. Um, when I wanted to, charge more for lap dances when i would dance on the weekends that was that's why i ended up doing it i was like i, um, I would like I, I would like it to be very expensive to sit on your lap yeah <laughs> no and that's <laughs> a lot of girls end up doing that i mean these days especially they can make a lot of money doing stripping and only fans or at least they could before mm -hmm. the um you know before the the, the uh, pandemic now i don't know what a stripper does but uh but then only you know fans. a lot of 
Yeah, so they do the OnlyFans, and then and then mm-hmm. people say to them, well, "Why would you need to do porn uh, when you you know you're doing great on your OnlyFans?" And the answer is because it makes your name much bigger doing porn. So we we still we're still going to be in business, guys. Don't worry about us, uh, porn <laughs> producers. We'll be fine. Um, so did you crack the code here, though, for all of the girls out there who listen to the show who are dancers and are going through college and trying to figure out how you get hired? Uh, after you get out of college with this background of being a dancer, maybe the answer is to go overseas. Uh, and just spend some time overseas and then... Well, get a job overseas. Apply oh, yeah. with yeah. the job boards and look for stuff that, you know, are... Well, and not... nobody gives a shit. Like, it, yeah. like you go to Costa Rica, nobody's going to care that you were a dancer in college. They They actually just... For in my case, they they just wanted teachers, and uh, and especially if you have a you know a Midwestern accent, man, you're gold. If you wanna if you want to um, finish college and get certified to teach English as a second language, you can travel anywhere. So that there it is, kids. Uh, <laughs> when I say kids, I mean eighteen year olds who listen to the podcast, who are trying to figure out what to do in life. Learn a second language and make, you know, make an OnlyFans while you're in college so that you can pay for your college. And then you can go mm-hmm. work overseas for a few years. And then you can decide whether you want to be full-time in the porn industry or full-time in the teaching industry or whatever that you want to do. So, all right. So you started in bondage. That's exciting. Um, what was your first set like then? Um, it was a rope bondage scene and, um, and yeah, I was like, put it, I, cause I'm kind of, I'm really flexible. So I kind of got put in like some contorted positions and tied up in bondage. And then I, at the time, since I wasn't doing any porn or performing, I could be, um, I was, I was able to be bruised and they just, they paid me really well, but they, boy. Like I had, I had like whip stripes every, uh, yeah, it was, it was, now, it was it, is, in a sexy way. <laughs> well, did, did you have an agent yet at this point? No, I had just applied to work for their site. I was like, I really want to try bonded. And they hired me. Was this kink? <laughs> no, it was, um, it was insects. But kink does the same thing. Like yeah. they, they take girls that have never done bondage. fairly frequently as well so if um if anyone has interest in doing that it's much safer than you know meeting some guy in his basement who says he might be able to tie you up okay so yeah you you got on insects and then they they bruised you pretty good on your first shoot (laughs) (laughs) but you liked it apparently because you went back for more yeah i i had a lot of fun it was um it was a really good time. Yeah. So for two years, you say you just did bondage stuff? Mm-hmm. But you yep, were working just for just insects or you started branching I was working the other? for I was working for kink as well. Aha. And then I worked for a site called Pain Toy a couple times, which is just vicious. It's just, it's brutal. Um, in a fun way, you know. Well, did you find <laughs> your limits? Did you like what... Yeah, my, well, my limits have changed. Um, the, for a while, I was I was doing just over the top, insane, like 
masochistic craziness, just stunt, just stunt after stunt. And I've, I, this is a terrible advertisement for myself was, but like, I, but maybe not. It's like, like once I found that I could do these things and that, you know, I enjoyed that aspect of it, but I've pulled back significantly on how much I'm willing to do. So, so I still love bondage and I still love spanking and shit like that, but I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't, you know, I don't need to have my mouth sewn shut today because I did that once. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear that story. Who sewed your mouth shut? That was with insects. Um, and, oh, and it, it was for a live, a live show. We did a 24 hour live show at my house when I when we were there and so they set up like everything at my house including their streaming and everything like that and then um and then I was just in bondage different kinds of bondage for 24 hours and then you know you would there'd be like an hour break where I would you know just be in some easy bondage and have a snack or whatever and then we'd go back into a, another intense uh position and that was that was the scene where my mouth was sewn shut and how do one how does one sew a mouth shut using medical sutures unreal yeah <laughs> so somebody did this to you like a guy that was your master yeah today? no and yeah he, well, a friend i i don't i've never been much of a sub I'm kind of a, I'm just a masochist, but like at, when I got into this, I thought that it had to be like a domination submission thing, but I'm actually more, my personality is more dominant, Yeah. but I'm all, but I'm a masochist. And yeah. so, so everything that I did that for that shoot or basically the most, cause I've also had like sutures put in on my, my labia and I've had like fucking staples crap stapled to me and stuff like that and it, but like that stuff is usually my idea and uh, <laughs> where i'm like i'm like hey you guys wouldn't it be neat if we did this and then yeah and and even when i work for kink or whatever for sex and submission or those kinds of scenes i'll walk on to sit set and um the the viewer sees a really submissive person but everyone, you know, when the camera's not rolling is watching me be like, I feel like we should use this cane today and I would like you to do this. And um, I'm not feeling the cl these clamps, but let's use these ones. And I top from the bottom, yeah. like nobody's business. <laughs> because you're a masochist and not a sub. Um, right. So you get turned on though by the pain or by trying all new things? What like? I think I get turned on by, um, I, I get turned on more by like pushing myself, uh, but uh, there's certain kinds of pain that turn me on. Like actual caning is a turn on for me and, and whatever, if, if the person that's doing it is doing it well. Um, but I think the biggest turn on or excitement, because sometimes I'm not turned on. Sometimes we'll start something and I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I like this. But like, yeah. the, thing, the thing, the biggest thing is, um, yeah, to just sort of see where my limits are. 
Like I think I think it's interesting sometimes watching pro wrestling, um, the extreme shows where a guy will take a bag of thumbtacks and empty it out and then somebody inevitably gets body slammed onto the thumbtacks and or glass or whatever. And these guys do crazy shit. And I wonder they must get turned on in some way, you know, like have this yeah. thing inside or some them kind of enjoys it. There's, yeah, there's some kind of feeling of fulfillment that I think comes from being able to do something that honestly you shouldn't do. I feel like my bondage career has basically been been jackass with nudity. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then we've also shot these guys, a couple of guys who can't have a heart on until they get kicked in the balls a few times. Mm-hmm. And and then it's, it's so it's like, now for me, I did martial arts for 10 years and never, like I had my jock strap on, my cup protecting me at all times. And even with that, whenever I got kicked in the nuts, I hated it so badly, but these guys really love getting kicked in the balls. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've asked them, well, what is it? Is it the pain that you like, or is it the feeling of helplessness seeing a beautiful girl just rear back and kick you in the balls with no concern for your safety and well-being? Like she just uh, thinks of you as just a worthless piece of shit that's worth kicking in the balls. And I think in a lot of cases, that's what these guys are into. It's like a feeling of being degraded. Yeah. I don't actually do ball busting though. I like, I I've done two ball busting scenes and realized that that is not me. Like, because, because there is an element of danger. You can get a torsion and then that that's an emergency room visit, which is no fun. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it would that would make me cry if I actually injured someone. And so, yeah, I've sort of drawn the line as a top where I'm like, eh, I'll do lots of things, but I'm not going to do ball busting. I'm with you. I, I don't. I'm not comfortable as a producer with uh, what happens when you do it. I mean, you know, I, the only reason I've ever done it on my in my scenes is because the male talent really wanted it and needed it to be part of this. So you did bondage for two years and then you decided to go start doing some mainstream type stuff or vanilla stuff as you want to call it. Did you, is that when you hooked up with ATMLA or was that your second agent? No, the ATMLA was my first agent, but I, I picked them because I had been, um, I, for insects, I actually worked for them as a, um, a a production manager. Ah. So I was booking everybody and ATMLA was the agency I liked working with from that end the most. Right. And I was like, if I like working with them the most from that end, then other people do too, which means that they're probably like keeping girls busy. Yeah. 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 They're, they're great people. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know Danny and Mark real well. Seeing so that's yeah. your agency. Um, you know, we've had Mark Schechter on the podcast and he is – I call him like the Lee Steinberg of porn, you know, the, the most ethical agent that we have in the business. Yeah, yeah, he really is. And I, and I, yeah. you know, I spend a lot of time talking to Mark these days about COVID and how we can make our sets safe and how we can get through this in a situation where um, inevitably there are going to be somebody who manages to get on a set with COVID and, and then, you know, you want to minimize the damage at that point. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but okay, so you signed on with ATMLA, and then what was the first? Uh, what were your first scenes like that you actually did hardcore sex in? My first scene that I did a hardcore sex in was. It wasn't even just a boy-girl scene. It was like uh, two, me and like me and one other girl and two guys and anal. So it was like, so it was like, uh, like I it was, it, it, which for me was weird. I was just like, okay, so I guess I'm just gonna dive on in. Um, but yeah. that was that, yeah. That, and then and then after that, my next scene after that was like a normal boy-girl day. Um, but yeah, it was Did you it, at the time, maybe say to Danny or Mark that, Hey, maybe I should do like a straight on one-on-one -on -one scene first before we do any anal or multiple people scenes. Well, I had already done like anal with bondage and stuff like that. So I just never really, I didn't really, I don't know, like that didn't bother me. Um, no, I didn't. Like, it was just kind of, <laughs> I, just, I just, <laughs> like, I got the booking information and, and the rate was, was really nice. So I was like, I'll show yeah. up for that, whatever. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> what do you like in a scene? Do you, are you happier when they say it's anal day or do you want, would you rather do regular vaginal sex? I love anal scenes. Um, because I feel like they're, they're, you know, the regular vaginal sex scenes are fun and stuff, but they tend to be a little bit softer. And I feel like when I'm doing like these, these gonzo scenes, which often, often have anal, um, but when I'm doing these scenes, it's almost kind of, it goes back to that, like where I can sort of push my limits a little bit. As long as the male performer is okay, because I've had moments where the guy is like, I'm not into how much of this is happening. And I'm like, oh, sorry about that. I'll try to chill class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that they're just a little bit more in my wheelhouse. Maybe. Have you been to Europe where basically the whole scene is anal? And they, I mean, I think they sometimes forget girls have vaginas in Europe. No, I haven't been to Europe. I, um, th there was a producer there that tried to book me and I kind of declined because, because I work uh, quite a bit here. I've always stayed pretty busy. And so it's not really worth it for the amount of money they pay. They don't pay more. And then I have to get on an airplane and go to Europe and deal with time changes and stuff. So I'm like, if I'm going to go to Europe, I'd like to go on vacation as opposed to going for work and getting fucked in the ass for seven days straight, you know? Yeah. Funny thing about European porn, um, two things that make it distinct are number one, that they, they love multiple people scenes and anal. But the second thing that's interesting is that, Years ago, the performer said, we want to be paid residuals. And the producers said, what? <laughs> sure. And then they dropped their rates. Said, okay, instead of paying you this rate for sex or for anal sex, we're going to pay you half the rate or 75% of the rate and then give you residuals payments that you know continue on the back end. And then the performers never ended up getting 
their residuals. Now there are no residuals, but the rates are still lower. I say mm -hmm. that as a warning to all of you performers out there uh, who constantly say, well, you know, it's unfair that Bang Bros shoots me and doesn't give me residuals. You know, you won't end up getting your residuals. <laughs> You'll just end up, it's not like SAG where you have an organized industry and SAG is around forever. Companies in the porn industry come and go and it's just too tough to track. And porn stars come and go. You're not going to end up getting your residuals. You're just going to end up getting paid less. You get your residuals from OnlyFans. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what I was about to say. Like, I almost use at this point because I make enough money on, on OnlyFans and Sex Panther and stuff. I, I, it's almost like I feel like when I show up for a paid scene, it's kind of like I'm getting free advertising for that site's fans because now they're going to come and find me and they're going to look me up. And so there's more people that my content is available to as opposed to, you know, so you're getting paid for that day, but it's also important because, because I mean, it's free advertising. Why would you, why would you say no to that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. But you, you can, you know, performers, you can get, residuals just make your own content take the same thing you're putting on OnlyFans and put it on clips for sale mini vids and i want clips you can even use uh, monetize if you want these days to submit it to all of them at once um you know although there's problems with that because each one has different settings and yeah like i that was it's almost different because OnlyFans, i like is run so much different than like a clip store but yeah yeah. But the point is, the same content can go on mm -hmm. all those places, and then you can keep making money 10 years after you got out of the business, uh, and it's great. You know, I mean, I, I have video clips that I still make money off of that were shot in 2004 that, mm -hmm. you know, every once in a while my phone beeps with another uh, commission on something I shot 20 years ago. So, um, so there you go, uh, performers. You, you want to you want to build up those, those um, residuals, but that's how you do it. Don't try to get it from the porn companies. So let's see, how are we doing on time here? Well, a couple more porn questions, then I want to ask you about your personal life. Okay. So name names. What, are, what performers are you, do you, have you liked working with a lot? You mentioned Ramon earlier. I, yeah, I like working with Ramon. I, I work with him a lot. So every time I see him on a call sheet, I'm like, ah, it's like going and hanging out with, you know, friends. I'm like, oh, I get to work with Ramon. Um, we get, we get put together a lot. Um, I, I, and Manuel, but I feel like every girl is like Manuel. I feel like that's like the easiest answer. Most people like working with him. Um, it kind of depends on the type of scene I'm doing, I suppose. Um, like Prince is is maybe one of my favorites, but he's my favorite for a lot of reasons. Like I love performing with him, but he's also just like been incredibly supportive all the time. Like he's just a a great friend. Um, a lot of controversy lately about IR rates. Did you did you charge an IR rate, a higher rate to work? I didn't even know that was a thing when yeah. I started. Like I, nobody, nobody. I, no, and I wouldn't have. But I'm like, but that was always like that blew my mind when I heard about that. That 
that girls were charging a ton for IR or like their first IR was a thing. And I'm like, the dick, there's no eyes in your pussy. Like the dick feels the same no matter how much melanin <laughs> is in it. Right? <laughs> like, Most pussies but, do not have eyes. So I can <laughs> yeah. So I just like, I don't understand why, why that was ever a thing. It's bizarre to me. It is. I, I, and, I, and I called a couple of different agents, um, you know, as we were all taking in all the information of the Black Lives Matter protests and trying to understand, hey, what are they saying? And are, are they legit? Like, and it was. And I think we all listened, especially to the African-American performers who were speaking out and said, huh, they, they're making a lot of sense here. And, and I asked a couple of agents, I was like, well, if you let a performer set her rates based upon the acts that are performed or the location, how far she has to drive or, you know, whatever, that makes sense. But if you let her set her rate based upon the race of the coworker, isn't that the very definition of racism? And the agents I spoke to said, yes, you're right. And, you know, they would say to me, but you got to understand my job is to convey offers from producers to the performer and then the performer can say to me yes no or i will do it but i would like x rate instead of what they're offering and then you have a negotiation so um and he said but still those agents i spoke to and said given all of that we're not going to allow interracial rates anymore it was something that shouldn't have happened in the first place and so we're putting a stop to it i think that's good for our industry yeah, I mean, I could see it if uh, there's there's several things I could see to like that would cause you to raise your rate. Um, but th- there was a girl I was talking to a while back, and she's like, "Well, you know, the black men in the industry tend to have bigger dicks," and I'm like, "Okay, but I know some so there's some white guys in this business that that are, I mean, they're 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 wandering around with like you know an extra leg basically, so." If you're gonna say that, then you need to then you need to make that. Just have a big dick rate. Yeah, you're Face like you're like if your if your dick is huge, I would like like it's gonna take more work for me to put that in my asshole. So whatever, I get that. But um, but the race thing is is really that's that's bothersome. But I didn't I didn't know it was a thing when I started porn. It's not something that would have crossed my mind I until people told me about it be okay if i was an agent and the girl said to me well listen i'm four foot 11 and 92 pounds i have a surcharge when somebody wants to shoot a scene with me and somebody Mm -hmm. with three legs basically uh and i'd be like okay that makes a lot of sense then we'll let the agents know there should be a category for that and yeah yeah there really should be like this person has a giant pecker it just takes, it's just more prep time. <laughs> like on a lot of the agency websites, you click and it'll say this girl, or you can click on a thing at the top to, to sort the performers. So you can, like, there'll be an anal button and it'll eliminate all of the performers from the list. They'll filter out the ones that don't do anal. Mm-hmm. So then you should have another little box to check for girls with a big dick surcharge or something like that, a big dick rate, gargantuan dick rate or something like that. Right. <laughs> And I think that would be totally fair. Like if yeah. you're, di- if you're, yeah, cause it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more, it's a lot harder on your body to do those, those scenes sometimes. 
Fair enough. Let's throw out some uh, personal things about you now for all the guys who are listening to the podcast. We're saying to ourselves, I'm in love with London. I know that I am the perfect guy for her. And uh, I just need to know about her personal life, like your passions. I know one of them is hiking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hike a lot. Yes. You, how did you get started with hiking? It must have been in Costa Rica, right? Uh, well, I mean, it was before then. I, there's actually, a, there were a lot of places, even in Nebraska, to go out hiking. I just like to be outside all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm not an indoors person. Like, basically, even, even after this, I'll probably go back outside because I, you, you, I have to have a reason to be inside. To be inside. Um, but so, and then in Costa Rica, I just hiked all the time and, and I didn't have a car, so I was walking everywhere anyway. Um, and then I've been, I've been rock climbing. I started doing that in Costa Rica and then stopped when I came back to the States. But then with COVID, the only things you can do are outdoors. So I decided to take that back up again. Do you have a dog? Do you take hiking with you? She, I have, I have two dogs. They used to come hiking with me, but they're both old at this point. So they can only do like short, short bursts of height, like short trails. And that's it. Cause one is going to be, she'll be 16 in November Aww. and, and the other is 10 years old. And you know, yeah, <laughs> I know the feeling. My dog is 12 and she, she really can't even go. I'm trying to take her a half mile a night of flat grounds and she's struggling to even do that these days. Yeah. I like hiking yeah. too. I mean, I wish we used to go on such long, wonderful hikes. Yeah. I mean, I, my dogs, it's a border collie mix and a collie mix. They have so much, they had so much energy in their youth, but, um, but they just can't keep up now and they get, you know, arthritis and it was just random crap. You can see them starting to hurt and yeah. What else do you like to do? I, I, I think you're interesting. A friend of mine, and we're not going to name names here, took you on a laundromat date, I heard. No, there wasn't a laundromat date. It, that was a, was a that was a joke. It was, I think, disgust that it would be a laundromat date, but it was actually just a drink, drinks, like normal people stuff, drinks and talking. And I don't know. I think there was food involved. I don't remember. There was. I know there was vodka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, I've been drinking with that person. A lot of vodka is consumed. <laughs> a lot of vodka it's, uh, yeah so but i i'm i'm a, i'm a pretty heavy lifter when it comes to vodka too so it works out so who uh who won that battle of the drinking then oh well i'm a girl <laughs> i'm gonna lose <laughs> but yeah I don't. I would. I don't you could out drink me for sure uh although probably i could out edible you most likely but most likely I have very little tolerance for weed and I, and I, and I love it. And I broke up for whatever reason. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've realized now that other people don't eat the whole thing. No, and that's where my get, I get a little different. Like 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I break up the candy bar into the assigned pieces or whatever it is, but still, apparently, that's more than a lot of other people do. So I get in like a haze, which is that's the object, right? I mean, when you yeah, yeah. want to slow your brain down a little bit. Um, so you do like to talk uh, politics or or what about conspiracy theories? Because you seem to be pretty inquisitive, like. Is there one conspiracy theory that you really buy into? Like, did we fake the moon landing or JFK assassination or COVID is fake or um, so many these days to choose from? Is space alien? Well, you know, I don't, I don't really buy into any conspiracy theory. I think that there's possibilities that some of them are right. Um, conspiracies have happened. But... I try to keep in mind that the most likely explanation for something is usually the correct one. Occam's razor, they call that. That is Okay. That's what Occam's razor yeah. says, is that the most likely, uh, the simplest explanation is the most likely explanation. And, and, so, and so that keeps me from really latching on to most conspiracy theories, because because most of them and most of them would require a lot of people to be in on it and you know you get one of those people drunk he's gonna tell someone <laughs> like yeah, i just don't i don't believe that you can get a hundred people to keep a secret yeah. or i don't believe that you can get five people to keep a secret but the more people you have trying to keep a secret the less likely it will be to be kept and so these huge government conspiracies seem a little unlikely to me for that reason yeah, no, I, and this is the exact discussion I had on set with Jack Vegas the other night, um, you know, because he's into every conspiracy theory, but he'll mm -hmm. buy into the real far off ones. And then I'll say, well, look, it's not that I'm discounting the possibility of what you're saying, uh, you know, but the problem is, is that if there's a 99% chance of something or a 1% chance, you're going with the 1% chance, I'm going with the 99% chance. Mm -hmm. so you take like, Epstein's Island, uh, there's all these lists of celebrities that went to Epstein's Island. Yeah, it's possible that all those celebrities were going for the purpose of, of having sex with underage boys and girls, but also there's a percentage chance that they were going because there were great parties on this island mm -hmm. and that celebrities love being flown on a private jet to an island with a big party with other celebrities. And right. thinking that there are some people that were on that island that are very guilty. The ones that are you see very closely with Epstein and pictures probably were very in on it. But a lot of them were there just because, I mean, I, personally, if, if somebody had invited me to an island and said, hey, Tom Hanks and, uh, and uh, um, Clint Eastwood and I are going to be at this party tomorrow night and we'd like to send a jet to fly you to this island. I'd go. Yeah, well, and I'm guessing that they did, had no idea that that was happening. Um, and for me, yeah, getting me to a party, all you need to say is open bar, and I'll basically <laughs> go to any any party. It doesn't yeah. really matter. <laughs> I don't need. I don't even need Epstein's the private islands. <laughs> See, thank, thank goodness I'm not famous. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Well, okay, so what we've learned here on your personal life thing is that if a guy wants to hook up with you or get to know you, 
he needs to learn how to go hiking. He needs, that's going to have to be the in. Got to be active. Yeah. Cause I don't sit, I don't st- sit still for long. So. So you gotta be an outdoor person guys. And you gotta be ready to drink seriously, seriously. <laughs> massive quantities of alcohol uh we've also learned today that you got into the industry uh that actually first we learned that you were bilingual and that you were a teacher out in uh costa rica very few teachers get into porn uh and then we learned that you started in bondage and that you're a big time masochist we've covered a lot of ground today here so far Let's promote your stuff here now. Tell everybody where to find all of your great Sex Panther and your OnlyFans and all those things. Well, like we said with Sex Panther, if you just go to Sex Panther, you can um, look me up by my name, London River. And OnlyFans is equally easy. It's OnlyFans.com slash London River. And... You know, I'm I'm starting a clip store here, but I haven't actually put it out. But you should just go to my Twitter, and then you will know everything I'm doing. And uh, my handle there is London Sea River. So you have to put a middle initial in there. C as in cat. As in cat? Yeah, C as in, but that's not what it stands for. I have no idea what the C is. People are like, what does the C stand for? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> It's a random letter. Okay. No, it's just a letter. But, yeah. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then what's on your, your OnlyFans? Did I see you tweeting that it's free? Or was that my just- OnlyFans, My OnlyFans is free for 30 days right now. There's, wow. I mean, yeah. So, and I, I'm on there every day. I chat every day. Um, there's, there's always some content posted every day. And then there's a paid content as well but if you want to talk to me that is a good place to do it well guys please go join her only if you're listening to this podcast and you're not signed up for OnlyFans, we can't make it any less cost than free i don't think there's a way for her to pay you to be on her only fans so no. everyone <laughs> listening to the podcast should be joining her free only fans right now and please send her a thing on there saying you heard about or OnlyFans on the Mature Audiences Mayhem podcast, the MAM podcast. Anything else you want to promote? What's your Instagram? Oh, my Instagram is London River and just move the C to the end. So London River C. London River C. I don't know why I picked a C. It's just, you know, I is feel like it's a, those, it's a good initial. Is there one of those things, the link trees or whatever on your Twitter that shows everybody where all your stuff is? What's a link tree? Oh, uh, it's like, just like uh, you click on it and then it says London Rivers OnlyFans, London Rivers IG, uh, London Rivers uh, Sex Panther, all that stuff. You should get one. No, I should get one. Look at my <laughs> look at my Twitter and then whatever. Okay. Is. It's free, I think. It's pretty sure it's free. So That's pretty cool. Okay. There you go. I'll we learned that. another thing. Wait, who's creeping into the picture? Oh, this is this is Oliver. Oliver. So we knew you had two dogs, but you also seem to have a dog-sized cat. <laughs> He's 17 pounds. Wow. He's very big. <laughs> Wait, hold him up again. Can you lift him? Because he's, he's huge. Okay, so Oliver is a very big cat, and I love that he <laughs> totally like does not resist at all when you pick him up in the air. Yeah, he's very chill. Like, yeah, yeah. he's a friendly cat. 
he's actually been laying here this whole time and you just saw him because he put his head up there and stuff but well there you go everybody that's the great london river and her cat and two dogs um if uh you listen to the podcast if you're a regular listener of the podcast who listens on uh, um itunes or google play or spotify or all those great things we appreciate you if you are one of the many london river fans who tuned in just to check out london river we'd love it if you would hit the subscribe button and maybe give us a five-star review because that helps us get sponsors for the show and uh you know it's always fun when we do those sponsor shows where we try out a sex toy or whatever and uh, we want to do that so do hit that subscribe button but uh, thank you very much for coming on the show today, London River. And thank you, everyone who listened. Go check her out. She is London Sea River on Twitter. Thanks for listening to Mature Audiences Mayhem. Yeah.